Hello and welcome to our podcast, Dad Educates Daughter, on 80s music. This is series one, episode seven. I'm Russell and this is my daughter, Rebecca. Hello, Rebecca. Hi, Dad. How are you? I'm all right. Not bad this week. How are you? I'm good. So how did you find the music this week? This week? So I remember last week you saying it's also a bit different. So I don't know what I was expecting, but it weren't what I was expecting. I think I thought it might be similar to last week, but it weren't. Yeah, it was a bit, not all over the place, but a bit, I don't know, it weren't a direct genre, I don't think. I mean, I think they're mainly classed as rock bands. But again, it depends how you see it, because, yeah, they're not rock rock. I think so. A couple of them I was like, yeah, they're rock. But I think, obviously, my interpretation of rock is probably more heavy rock. Yeah, which is in the 80s was called heavy metal. Yeah, because I think nowadays we don't have all these different subgenres as of rock. I mean, we might do, but obviously I don't explore that because we've said I'm not a rock person. But this rock, I can get down with because it's not in your face, like yeah. blaring music. And I think that's why it throws me off that it's rock. Sure. Okay. Well, shall we start then? Let's talk music. We shall indeed. So last week you had The Jam. ELO, Electric Light Orchestra, Roxy Music and The Pretenders. So which was your best songs from each of those groups? So I found it quite easy to pick favourites this week. Okay. Like in previous weeks, I've found it a bit hard. But I think these ones, I think this is the first time where an artist hasn't had loads of number ones. They all had similar, not number ones, loads, loads of hits, top 40. Yeah. Yeah. They all had similar amounts. It was like seven or eight of each. And I found it quite easy. Yeah. So the jam, I went for Town Called Malice, uh-huh. Electronic Light Orchestra, All Over the World. Right. Roxy Music, Over You, and Pretenders, Brass in Pocket. Okay, so that's interesting. This week, how many number ones are you going for? I went for three this week. I was prepared this week, not having to think about it. I thought about it while I was listening, and I was like, that could be, that could be. So I went for three, and I thought two from the Pretenders and one from ELO. Uh-huh, okay. Interesting, because there were seven. You're joking. Seven number ones we're going to be discussing this week. Oh, my God. However, I did throw a song in there from 1979. Okay. Which also was a number one. Okay, so technically So there's actually six. only six from the 80s, because I threw one in there that would have been off an 80s album. I'm guessing it is, but it might not have been. But it was a number one from 1979, but it's just to show you their music going into the sort of into the 80s. But otherwise, yeah, as far as the 1980s went, you've got six number ones. Okay, I'm intrigued. That's the most we've had. Yeah. I think I'm getting a bit too, because in previous weeks I've been like, oh, like 13, and there's been like two. So now I'm being more strict to myself and really thinking about it. Yeah, you're being more conservative with your answer, but actually we're getting more. (laughs) Yeah. And I really thought about it this week, like to the point where I was like two from The Pretenders and one from ELO. Seven. Seven. Wow. Okay. I'm intrigued. Yeah. So shall we start with the jam? We shall indeed. So what did you think of the jam? So these, so I didn't recognise these, but I found myself familiar with a couple of the songs. Okay. So like Town Called Malice, 
I was like, oh, I know this. And like going underground and that's entertainment. I knew them, but I didn't know I knew them. Like usually I see the name of the song and I'm like, oh, I know that one. But I didn't, not until I started listening to them. I feel like weirdly talking about rock bands, I feel like the instrumental of these is rock. Like it has a rock feel, but the vocals balance it out and they're not as rocky. It's quite chilled out and it makes it more enjoyable for me. And the instrumental, as much as I've said previously that I like to be able to sing, well, the instrumental in this is what kept me drawn in. It's what kept me listening. I was like, this is the beat for me. Some of the songs, the vocals are a bit like, but I didn't like it. Just a bit bland, not much going for it. No, like, upbeatness to their vocals. It was just very, not, not monotoned, but it did go along kind of, we're sticking at this pitch and this pace kind of thing. They were easy to listen to, which I quite liked. Uh One thing that threw me off was, so I listened to a few of them in my headphones as I was making notes and they played around with the balance. So every now and then I could only hear something going on in my right ear and I thought my left headphone was broken and then I could hear something in my left and I I was like, what is going on? It really threw off my balance. I was like, what? I don't know what's going on here. I don't know if you've noticed that because obviously when I was listening to it in my car, I didn't hear that because you don't hear it as much in a car, I don't think. But in my headphones, it was direct in my ears. I was like, this is weird. Like, I think in one of them, there was like some knocking in my right ear. And I was like, I don't like this. Can you stop? So that was weird. They've like played around with that there. And I thought, so I didn't really listen to the lyrics as much this week. I was more involved in like the instrumental and the sound of the music. But with these, a couple of their songs, I thought they're talking a lot about life in London, I think. And obviously you've got going underground and down in the tube station at midnight and watching the videos. Their videos showed the underground. It showed a bit of London. And I think in going underground, it was a bit about Britain and the politics because they spoke about we're going to go down underground, like we don't want to be dealing with all of this. And it showed pictures. And I'm sure one of them was a picture of Maggie Thatcher. Not quite sure, because I'm not very good with recognising people. And the reason Town Called Malice was my favourite is because that's the one that gets you up, gets you moving. And Connor's kids actually really enjoyed that one because I played it out loud and they were all dancing around the living room. So that one really gets you up and going, even for an eight and five-year-old. As far as they look, in their videos, they look a bit bored. They're just very serious and focused on what they're doing, I think. Like, just very serious. You've got the singer. He's got a dodgy haircut. But then I think down in the tube station, he had a haircut. So it was, it was then more shaped. But it was like, literally, his sideburns came down and there was nothing over his ears. And then it was long behind his ears. And I was like, that's a bit odd. So he looked a bit odd. But then the others just had mullets and they were very formal again. They were, I don't know, they're a bit bland looking, but they just had suits and ties on. There weren't much about them that got me looking at them. Couldn't tell they were rock either. They're classed as punk rock, but they've also got a big following from the mods. So mods were the people with like the big Parker coats or whatever you want to call them and riding their Vespa scooters. Are they like the way you're like Vespas and whatnot? They're meant to be like the cool people. Yeah, I suppose in a sense they were they weren't skinheads, they weren't punk, they weren't bikers, when you know, as in like levers and that. It was just on a scooter, nothing, you know. We're talking in the late 70s early 80s I suppose for them which is still you know I was born by then 
I was not at an age where I would be driving around on a scooter. So I, it's hard for me to describe what they looked like, but they weren't the, I mean, you had the teddy boys, which were the people dressed up. Then you've got obviously like um, the scar and that of madness and the specials where they seemed to wear pork pie hats as they were known. If you remember, they were all wearing hats, madness and the specials had hats. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas the jam aren't, they're, as I say, they're punk rock, but mod revival. So they, they are the, the band that were most associated with mods. Like I say, I thought they were very bland. So I didn't think that they would be down any sort of route. Like they just kind of were making their music, but didn't really have a, a look about them. Yeah. I guess those were the people that liked their music more than... They didn't aspire to be looking like the jam. I've just quickly looked it up. The mod revival post-dated a Teddy Boy revival. And I suppose the Teddy Boy were the suits and tie and the nice boy look. And But it does say that they they clashed with Teddy Boy rivals, skinheads, casual punks. So the best way of... There was a film called Quadrophenia. You might have heard it. That was based on the mods or around the mods. So... It's, it's, I don't know whether that used their music. I, I haven't really watched that film, but I know of it. They just sound like they're the cool people. And probably when you say they clash, it's like they must have been quite outspoken. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. A political group in that sense. Whereas obviously the specials, as we've said, definitely were. And also, who was it? Clash, we said about they sort of split up because uh, Joe Stummer was very committed to socialism and that side of politics. So I don't think they were as politically influenced as those. But as you say, I mean, a town called Malice could quite easily have been around political going underground. You know, it's hard to know what was behind them. Hmm. They might have had some underlying, but not fully out there. Yeah. Okay. so a bit about the jam then. So Paul Weller was the vocalist, guitarist and principal songwriter. Bruce Foxton, the bassist. Now, we did speak about A. Weller and Foxton before. I've heard, yeah, I remember speaking about Foxton. Yeah, so Foxton and Paul Weller's dad, who was also the jams manager. Yes. They were involved with the Vapors. I remember now. Wait, as soon as you said Paul Weller's dad, I remembered. So they were involved with the Vapors and then Rick Buckler was the drummer. Oh, so they're quite small. Yeah, yeah. So it's a vocalist, stroke guitarist, a bassist and a drummer. Okay. And um, as I say, Paul Weller was pretty much the principal songwriter. Mm. And he was a, probably the biggest influence on them because obviously his dad was the manager. And when he left, I mean, they were, you know, top of the game. And he just said, right, we've done, you know, and walked away and he formed another group. Really? Yeah, he formed another group called the Style Council, which we'll go into later on. So he just decided, now I'm done, but they were at the top of their game. Yeah, he just, they were literally top of their game and disbanded and he went. That's very random. Like you'd think yeah. top of your game, you'd kind of, like, I understand when it's going like down a bit and you're not getting as many hits, but not when you're top of your game. Like, and then to go to another group, like what, your name's going to do it all for you? I suppose because you've got to think that the music was changing. Mm, that's true. So he... I mean, it's hard to say because the jam and the style council, it's not like the style council and electro pop sort of, you know, when, when we come to them in a, in a later episode, you'll get to see them. But then certainly not of that music of very electro or anything, or I wouldn't class them as. But obviously they are a bit different from the jam. And I suppose the mods and that 
by the time you got to the eight, the early 80s, mid 80s, you know, things had moved on. So, you know, you had the new romantics and all that. So I guess instead of moving with the time, he just went to a whole nother group and thought these are going to be. Yeah, left the jam. I mean, a jam who I suppose he looked at as 70s stroke 80s. I mean, they were formed in 1972. Oh, wow. So they went through the 80s then, at 70s. Well, they did release songs in the 70s, but I think their hits were more the early 80s. Right. The first song was In The City, got to number 40, and it was released in 1977. So even though they were formed in 1972, it wasn't until, I suppose, a record deal or whatever, like all the others, you do the route, the, the circuit first, the clubs and the pubs. Yeah. Get yourself noticed, get a record deal, and then you go into a recording studio and what have you. So I guess in the 70s, that's what they were doing. Come the late 70s, going into the 80s, they got their record deal. They were out there and they started getting their fans and people were then buying their music and they're able to work themselves up. That's it. So they're from Woking in Surrey and they were heavily influenced by The Who. So The Who were, I don't know, 50s, 60s, Roger Daltrey. So they were influenced by those. As I say, managed by Paul Weller's dad, John Weller, who was also to do with the Vapors. And the Vapors, as, as we spoke when we spoke about the Vapors, they supported the jam on their tour. So even though we were only just talking about the jam, which goes to show that obviously they're bigger than the Vapors, but obviously the Vapors did have that hit early on in the 80s themselves. So for us, I've already mentioned them with turning Japanese. Obviously, that was all the Vapors had as far as hits, whereas the Jam have had a few more. Definitely prefer the Vapors. They had two albums in the 1980s. Oh, is that it? That is it. So you've heard that we've got six stroke seven number ones. You've listened to seven, but six from the 80s. Yeah. Do you think the Jam had any? Uh... So did you think the Jam had any originally? No. No. But now I want to... Maybe one. I reckon maybe they had one. Maybe now you one. said seven, maybe one. And I reckon it would either okay. be Town Called Malice or That's Entertainment. Okay. Interesting. I don't think they'd have more. Okay. No, all right. Well, I'll go through it in a minute. I'm just going to let you know this. They were named number five in a Virgin Radio poll of the top 100 artists of all time. Really? Yeah. Right, so my opinions are not the same as people in the 80s, that's for sure. <laughs> and Paul Weller was even named number 21 in that poll. He's got a good voice, though. So he got in there with the jam and on his own. Because after the Star Council, he then become a solo singer. Not, of not course really did. known as a solo singer. Not like Phil Collins when he left Genesis and become a big soloist. But he tried. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, with Genesis, which obviously we haven't discussed, but you had Phil Collins and Peter Gabriel both went on to have probably successful solo careers still. I wouldn't say Paul Weller. I can't think of any real songs he'd done on his own without looking it up. Whereas obviously he was well known for the jam and I suppose even as the Style Council. But yeah, he, he's on there as a top 100 artist of all time as number 21 and the jam number five. Yeah, if I was born in the 80s like you, I would not be listening to the same music that people were liking. I, I mean, I didn't really listen to the jam. As I said, they were before my time. I mean, they'd split up by the time I was into music. You know, I, I only learned about them afterwards. But I do like quite a few of their uh, songs. They're not bad. Like, some of them are catchy and some of them, you know, 
and like I say, like town called Malice, going underground, the entertainment I've heard before. Sure. So I mean, but I always get confused if I've heard them before, just because I've heard them or because of you. But for me to have heard them before and recognise them and kind of know the chorus, they're all right. And some others yeah. I did, I did like, but I wouldn't say they're a top five. But people's opinions. Okay, I will go through their songs. Yep. Nineteen eighty, they released "Going Underground." And that got to number one. Okay. I'll accept that one because I do like that one. 1980, they released Start. And that got to number one. Nah, they ain't going to have all seven, are they? I can't be having them of all seven. So what did you say you liked? That's Entertainment. That's Entertainment and Town Called Malice. I thought they'd be number one. Okay. That's Entertainment was released in 1981. And that was their worst, as far as charts go... They're worst, well, not worse, but it didn't chart as high as the others. At number 21. So outside the top 20. That's their worst in the top 40. That was their worst. Now they're going to have all seven number ones, aren't they? Because they've got 10 songs in the top 40. Also in 1981, they released Funeral Pyre. That got to number four. As did Absolute Beginners, also in 1981. So that also got to number four. 82 was A Town Called Malice number one okay yeah i'll accept that see one of my favorite songs so that's three number one so far only got four left just who is the five o'clock hero number eight 1982 bitterest pill number two and then their last song 1982 beat surrender number one four number ones four number ones i'm a bit speechless is that like more than, you know, Duran Duran and Spandau Ballet? I didn't think they were that good. Yeah, Duran Duran only had two and Spandau Ballet only had one. But again, it's it's about what people liked at that time. And I suppose you get your followings as well. So if you're a cult band, which they were, then you got your heart, you know, and like you like That's Entertainment. And that wasn't even a, you know, number 21. I would not be a mod then, would I? <laughs> Not cool enough to be one of them. <laughs> yeah, so I can tell you're a bit shocked for that. I am. Like, I'm a bit speechless. All number ones. And they went out at the top. Like, I didn't think they were bad to listen to. No, no, no. I would definitely go out and buy a, a, a greatest hits or a best of or what, what you know, whatever you want to call them these days of their hits. I've just realised. What about down in the tube station at midnight? Oh, so that was from 1978. So is that a number one then? No, no, it wasn't. That's not the 71. No, that got to, I think it was like number 15. Yeah, number 15 in 1978. Okay, still I'm shocked. Four number ones. They're not even, not even like the best ones. The reason I gave you down in the, is because it was re-released in 1983. Okay. And got to number 30. Oh, okay, so it hit the charts. So that's the reason times. it was on the list. Yeah. Because they re-released it. But they re-released it in a sense after they'd split up, I suppose, or, or after their biggest hit. I think they might have split up maybe in 1983, but their last hit was Beat Surrender in 1982. But they, they released a lot of songs, so whether they had split up and Eaton Rifles, which had done quite well again in the late 70s, um, got to number four. No, number three, sorry, in 1979, that got two. They also re-released that in 1983, and that got to number 54. 
Oh, so they did have a few hits in them. So maybe they saw that, you know, because people of that time weren't buying their music. Probably, you know, it, it probably got to that chart from, again, a few or maybe even their followers being hardcore. They still go out and buy it. But you can see the chart positions of the late. So Absolute Beginners, 1983, only got to 83. Yet we said it got to number four in 1981, just literally two years later. Wow. So you can see that the trouble then your music doesn't change or when you've just you've just got one cult following because you're not going with the times. You know, if you don't move with the times, you just st- stagnate, stay still. You're not hitting everyone else. And that's what the charts are for. I suppose, you know, as I say, you know, Funeral Pyre, that was released again in 1983 and only got to number 82. So I don't get why they re-released stuff like... No, I mean, going by this, they released literally their whole back catalogue. That's Entertainment was re-released in 1991, got to number 57. And that would have been way after they disbanded, wouldn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah. Very odd. So anyway, that's the jam. So yeah, straight off, four number ones. Very shocked. I think that's more from them than you originally thought you'd listen to. I only thought there was going to be three. I didn't think any of them were going to be from them. (laughs) So there you go. Yeah, a very cult group, very early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. Okay, so now we'll move on to the Electric Light Orchestra, or ELO as they were short. What did you think of those? So I thought they were more upbeat than the jam. So, you know, that's hitting me straight away because I like the upbeat stuff. Did these still use a synthesizer? Um... They had a keyboardist and a synth. Yeah, they did have a synthesizer. So yeah, I would. They would have had it in their music, but they weren't okay. known. I mean, obviously, I suppose because they were known as the Electric Light Orchestra. Yeah, I thought so. They were actually formed in 1970. Oh wow! Yeah, in Birmingham. So the same as Spandau. Oh no, Duran Duran were Birmingham, but yeah, ELO were. But 1970, they had their first hit. In 1972. Oh, so it didn't take them a while. With 1053A or 1053A, I don't know how you'd say it, Overture, <laughs> um, and that got to number nine. Wow, okay. And that was in 1972. But they had a lot of hits even in, in the 70s. Evil Woman is a well-known one. In 1976, that got to number 10. Oh, okay, so they were getting hits before the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just wonder, because it sounded, you could hear, like, programmed sounds. It sounded a bit futuristic, the sounds that they were putting in. And I thought Twilight felt very electric. And I thought of you while listening to it, I thought, oh, this one might be more up Dad Street because it's more electric. I feel like they had, their songs were, like, a mixture of sounds. So you, you had, like, your upbeat, you had your chilled out you had your love songs they didn't just stick to this is what we are and these are our songs this is what we always release it's look at us we can sing in different ways and get in touch with your feelings so I quite like that about them I think with them I mean I'll be honest I don't know as much about them and you said about Twilight I probably haven't even listened to it I feel like you'd like it I mean there's one song of theirs that I got you to listen to which is actually from the 70s which I've always liked Mr. Blue Sky. Oh, yeah. That one didn't stick out to me, though. No, no. I mean, it only got to number six, but that was in 1978. But that's a song that I 
have always liked of theirs, mm. even though it does go on for quite a, a while. And there is a bit where the music really changes, which I think they sort of, ru- not ruins it, but it's as if it doesn't belong in it right near the end. Uh, like it's another song kind of thing. Yeah, so, yeah. But that's just because that's me. But they are very, I mean, these are probably, I mean, Jeff Lynn, who was the main person behind them, he's probably the most musically talented that we've come across. I mean, he's a vocalist, a guitarist, a bassist, a pianoist, a keyboardist. Oh, wow. I mean, he's listed for all of those instruments, but also... So he's very talented. Yeah. I mean, you had Roy Wood, who actually left in the 70s. He went and formed the glam rock band Wizard. Oh, okay. Who you would know through their, their Christmas song. I wish it could be Christmas every day. Yeah. That was Roy Wood. Well, he formed ELO with Jeff Lynne. And so they are oh, real okay. musicians. Yeah, like they've really got the talent. Obviously, you, you've watched Grease. Yeah, I wrote down Olivia Newton-John is in there. Oh, right. Because I, I watched Zandu. the video. Uh-huh. That was one thing. They're hard to find videos for couldn't find any videos to like look at them like there are videos but like all over the world is like just flash mobs and it looked like people had just made videos of flash mobs I couldn't find like an official video but again I suppose we're before the videos yeah so I don't think these are ones that indulged in it again like the jam they're 1980 to 1983 and that's it. You've got nothing. So that, yeah, so they're very early. Whereas, mm. as we said about Spandau Ballet and Duran Duran, they which you went through went the whole on. decade. Yeah. These were because, as I say, they were both formed in the 70s and had hits in the 70s. As I say, Paul Weller, you know, he disbanded or left and set his own one up at their height. And the same with ELO. I mean, they going by, you know, or at least, at least hit wise, should I say, 83 was their pinnacle. I mean, see, we're just talking 80s. They may have had hits in the 90s and that, but I've only done the 80s. But as far as the 80s went, 83 was their last top 40. Yeah. And I guess because they're so early, they might not have indulged in the videos. So, yeah, they were very hard to, like, even finding, like, live performances. I couldn't really find any. I didn't type in specifically Top of the Pops because I probably would have been able to find one that way. I just typed in Google and went on images so that I weren't looking at any information on them. All I got from them was their, like, perms. And there was a lot of them. Like, there was about seven. So you had Jeff Lynn on, as I say, vocals, but he was also guitar, bass, piano, keyboards. Roy Wood, also vocals, bass, cello and oboe. However, as I say, he left in 1972. What's an oboe? I'll be honest, I don't know. It's obviously some kind of instrument. (laughs) So he left in 1972. So the music you've listened to, he wasn't involved in. He'd gone off and obviously was with Wizard. Bev Bevan was on the drums. Richard Tandy, piano, keyboard, synthesizers. Mick Kaminsky, violin. And Kelly Grucott, bass and vocals. So I think Kelly took over from Roy Wood. And so what does that be? Five members. Okay. I can't count them. Um, I did write down, it sounded like they had more than one vocalist. And obviously now there's like three, but obviously at one time there might have just been the two. And with all them instruments that people can play, very talented. They definitely are like an orchestra, aren't they? With all them instruments. But yes, yeah. that obviously shows why they have such a mixture of songs. 
how they can get in touch with your feelings in so many different ways. So I liked that about them and how they played around. But the only thing in the list that you gave me, from Twilight to Ticket to the Moon, they were a bit bland. But then you come back in with Rock and Roll is King, and that that was great. Like after Ticket to the Moon, that was great. Then after that, it was nice. It was just them ones. But I don't know whether they're more there in touch with your feelings and more romanticized songs. And I think maybe if I was in the mood of just sitting around and listening and you know going all heartfelt, they might have been in more touch with me. But because I am on a normal daily basis, I am very got to get me up, got to get me feeling good. Them ones were a bit. There just weren't much there for them. But everything else I really liked. Twilight, I keep mentioning Twilight, sounds like I'm obsessed with it. But that one reminded me of like our first episodes. Not like craft work, but more like OMD with the electric, because it was very electric. So these are known as progressive rock. See, I didn't get rock from them though. Or it does say pop rock. Okay. And art rock is what it's got down. So symphonic rock, progressive rock is is known, or sometimes called art rock. It's a broad genre of rock music that developed in the United Kingdom. It says from the 1960s, um, and it's associated with jazz, folk, and classical music. So that might be why it's so, like, um, that doesn't sound rocky, and why they've got such a mixture of sound, because they're in that genre where it is quite a mixture so they can play around with it okay yeah i'll agree with that then so have you heard of pussycat dolls of course they had a song that featured will i am called beep yes yeah 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 right well that sampled elo's evil woman i didn't listen to that one did i no no because that was 1975 okay but that sampled that. So we're talking about a song from the 1970s that was sampled by the Pussycat Dolls. Wow. What did you think of the ones that I gave you last week? One Direction? So definitely you can hear the clash in it. And I did look it up. They have been given songwriting rights to it. So if you look at the, um, I can't remember what the song was called now. We live while we're young. Yeah. If you look at the songwriters for it, it's got the members of Clash. And the sa- it was the same with the other one you gave me. MIA Paper Planes. It's got down as songwriters and it's got the members of Clash. So they have been um, given royalties, although I did look up. Um, there was a bit of at first, I think, that One Direction hadn't given them. But then they sort of, in an interview, so Louis Tomlinson sort of said, well, when you get to this, you know, in the noughties or whenever they were from, it's very hard to come up with material that hasn't already been used. There's only so many riffs and what have you that you, you can do. But then Harry Styles said it was meant to be part you know the clash and as i say they have now got songwriter rights on it so whether there was anything i can't i couldn't find anything about it but the way louis tomlinson taught was if it hadn't happened but definitely with the with mia that was straight away it looks like they've got the songwriters so they obviously went for them for permission so yeah what did you think of the songs i probably preferred the one direction over the mia one but Neither of them are songs that I would... I would definitely rather listen to The Clash over both of those. (laughs) Okay. Well, you've broadened your horizon just a tad. Yeah, Yeah, just a a tad. (laughs) But yeah, so 1975, Evil Woman was sampled in Pussycat Dolls' Beep, which featured Will I Am. Okay. I have to listen to... So Evil Woman 
Evil Woman, which got to number 10, so it's quite a okay. thing. Oh, so, have yeah. I listened to that one then? See if I can hear it. So Jeff Lynne, he wrote, arranged and produced virtually all of ELO's records. And he also, after ELO, or whether ELO is still going, but he also formed the supergroup, which we've come across before with supergroups, haven't we? The Travelling Wilburys, which we will listen to in a much future episode. But but this was, I would say, uh, the the ultimate supergroup. So you had Jeff Lynne, you had George Harrison from the Beatles, you had Bob Dylan, you had Roy Orbison, and you had Tom Petty from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. So as far as 60s or 50s, 60s, these were big players. And he, they formed a, a supergroup, the Travelling Wilburys. I love these supergroups in the 80s, I tell you. Oh, uh, yeah. But I, I would say this supergroup was probably, you know, if they were footballers, you're looking at a couple of million players sort of thing equivalent compared to the the, the supergroups we've mentioned before. They were like the... Uh, Potomy of supergroups. If you're going to put a supergroup and you want to select who you want in it, this is probably that sort of, you know, who's the best guitarist? I want that person. I'm with you. But still, they love a supergroup. <laughs> yeah. And Jeff Lynn was awarded an OBE in 2020. Oh, so very recent. Yeah. And ELO were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2017. Wow. So did they carry on then? As I say, I've only looked at the 80s. Yeah. I'll have a quick look now whether they've actually had any hits from pre or post 1980s. No, they're law. Funny enough, Mr. Blue Sky was 2011, but I think that was on the back of the office. It was used in the office. Oh, was it? And that's where I actually, because I thought, I know this song. Who's that by? He recognized it. But the last hit was. Calling America, which I didn't actually write down, 1986, at number 28. So they did have another one after Rock and Roll is King. So um, we missed that one because I didn't write that one down. But it got to number 28. What was that one? Calling America. I'm sure I've got that one. Yeah, I've got that one. I listened to that one. Oh, right. I haven't wrote it on my list. Okay. So, yeah. So how many number ones do you think these had? Uh, yeah, I thought these ones had one when I was down to my little tiny amount of three. I thought they had one. Oh, right. And who did you think that was? All Over the World or the one they did with Olivia Newton-John. I can't pronounce it, but the Exando. Xandu. Exando, yeah. Xandu. Yeah, that one. Okay. Can I just say, yep. when this pandemic's over, yeah. All Over the World should be just played. Okay. I think it's very fitting for when the pandemic's over. Oh, well, I'll have to have a list because, as I say... I don't really know their mute, as I say, other than Mr. Blue Scott, which isn't even from the 80s. They're not for me, really. But I know Zandu and I'm not. Yeah, that's not the best one, I don't think. But all over the world, I would definitely, that one. And when this pandemic's over, well, I'll be playing it. And I think radio stations should play it too. Oh, well, there we go. Because <laughs> little tip there. Okay. So ELO, 1980, I'm Alive, number 20. Also 1980, Zandu, number one. Oh, so I was right. Okay. 1980, All Over the World, number 11. That's just outside the top 10 for that. 1980, still, Don't Walk Away, number 21. 1981, Hold On Tight, got to number four. Also in 1981, Twilight, number 30. 
Okay. Didn't like that one that much. I just thought you'd like that. I'll have to listen to that. 1982, a double A side of Here is the News and Ticket to the Moon, number 24. They're the ones that I thought were bland, those three. Uh huh. 1983, Rock and Roll is King, number 13. And then 1986, Calling America, number 28. Okay. So I was right with one number one. Yes. And I got it right. Well done. I reckon they only got that number one because of Olivia Newton-John. And I also, I think, because obviously on Spotify, like it shows you like the cover art of the albums and some of them, like some of them are from Greatest Hits, some of them show the actual album. This one, I'm pretty sure Xandu was from a musical and that's why Olivia Newton-John features in it. Oh, right. And they had songs that featured in a musical. I don't think that was the only one that they had. I can imagine that they would be the sort of group that would do musicals and that. I think that's what they probably, you know, yeah. I, you were probably probably right, and probably even Olivia Newton-John was in it. Probably. But, yeah, I'm pretty sure that one is definitely in a musical. And I think the musical was called Exandu, or however you say it. I'm sure that's what the musical was called as well. Uh-huh. So that might be why that was so big. I would probably say you're correct without looking into it. I haven't looked into it. I just look at the, the groups. It hasn't mentioned it, but probably if I looked into the actual six songs, then I, I wouldn't be surprised if you're probably right that that's come from some kind of musical. Bear in mind, Olivia Newton-John obviously become, I don't know when Greece was, was that early 80s, late eight, mid 80s? I'm not sure. I feel like Greece was 70s. It probably was actually 70s. Yeah, I was going to say it's probably 70s. So... As you say, 78. Uh, so there you go. So as you say, did they get to number one on the back of it being Olivia Newton-John? Yeah, that's why I thought it was them, because of the Olivia Newton-John featuring in it. Okay. Moving on then to Roxy Music. What did you think of them? So these ones, the first song, which is my favourite, Over You, made me want to sing along. I was like, oh, yeah, we're on to a hit here. They were easy listening. I think these songs have a deeper meaning. Like, I feel like they're talking to someone. They're reaching out to someone and that person must be sat there going, yeah, I hear you. We're not getting back together, though. Tell you that. But the songs were very long. So as much as I was like, great, I'm going to sing along. Well, they're deep, they're deeper meaningful. Huh? Getting in there a bit. They're very long and I start getting bored because I'm like, are you done yet? Have you told them how much you love them enough yet? And they're very love songs. Like there's no like upbeat to it. I think the only like upbeat was Over You and that's why it became my favourite. But they're just very love song and chilled and I'm going to tell you how much I love you and how much I want to be with you. You know, you've got a song called Jealous Guy that's literally about him saying I am the jealous type and you can't be with anyone else. So that's what I thought about their songs as a whole. It makes me feel a bit sad listening to it. I feel sorry for this guy a bit. And the one thing I can't explain when I say this, he's got an 80s voice and I can't explain that. But when you hear his voice, and I think it's because obviously I've grown up. So obviously I hear some music and I'm like, I can place it. And this guy I would place in the 80s because his voice is just, that's the sound that I hear when I think of the 80s. And yeah, so I quite liked that. That felt very uh, comfortable to be with. 
when I watched the videos. He didn't, I mean, considering it's a band, I keep referring to this one guy, because even in the videos, the focus was just on this one guy. So I didn't really see the band as such. It was just whoever their lead vocalist was. Which was uh, Born Ferry. Like, you didn't see anyone else. Like, even in the videos, I think you saw silhouettes of them, but I can't tell you what they looked like because the focus was on this one guy. Couldn't put my finger on a genre. Watching the videos, I still couldn't put my finger on a genre because the way that he looked, he didn't look rocky. He didn't look poppy. He didn't look new romantics. He didn't look anything. He just was this one guy with wispy kind of shaggy hair. They weren't too long, was a bit of a rough comb over going on. But in one video, he'd be in casual clothes. Next video, he'd be in a suit and tie. He didn't really have a look. And I was like, what are you giving me? Like, where do you come from? So, yeah. And he reminded me, right? It looked like he was just a guy that was just doing it part-time. Like, when he finished filming a video, he'd go off to his job. <laughs> like, there was just nothing about him, really. I didn't feel anything from him. So, yeah, one thing was the videos were very clean. I feel like they might have had a bit of a budget going on or they just had a really good camera crew and camera. But, yeah, not much, not much about Roxy Music, not going to lie. OK, so they were formed in 1970. Mm. So this week, a lot of them have been formed early 70s. Yeah, yeah, that, that's why I put these together, because they're all, you know, similar going into the early 80s, I suppose but didn't really... They weren't big in the 80s. I mean, well, I'll say they weren't big, as the we just said. The jam had said. enough, didn't they? <laughs> the jam had four number ones, but I suppose when I say not big, as in from my era, which was mid-80s, they weren't theirs. But, um, I mean, I know Brian Ferry more as a, as a soloist singer because that's what he'd done after. Not going to lie, he was a bit like a solo artist in Roxy Music anyway. <laughs> yeah. So in their group, they had... Brian Ferry, who was a singer-songwriter, Graham Simpson, the bassist, Phil Adams, or professionally known as Phil Manzanera, he was the guitarist, Graham Simpson, bassist, Andy McKay, saxo, Brian Eno, synthesizer. However, he left in 1973, so before the 80s, due to tensions with Ferry, and then Edwin Jobson took over as a synthesizer. Then you had on drums, you had Paul Thompson. So he was with them from 71 to 80. And then Dexter Lloyd took over on drums. And then Andy McKay was saxo. Right. Okay. Do you know what? Watching the videos, I legit, when I say I saw, so you had Ferry, the guy, that must have been who I was just watching. And I say I saw people and they're more in silhouettes or I saw the back of them. I didn't see that many as you just listed. As I say, I mean, they weren't all in the group at the same time. So you've got two drummers there. Right. Brian Eno left before you'd have been watching to be replaced by Edwin Jobson. OK, that makes more sense. So Brian Eno, he's quite well known because he, when he left, as I say, in 1973, due to tensions with Ferry, he went on to be a producer for bands. He's gone and worked with such bands as U2, Coldplay, Ultravox and Talking Heads. Oh. He's also collaborated with David Bowie. So he's went on to much bigger, better things. So, yeah. Did better out of the band. The band were influenced by the Beatles, Rolling Stones, Pink Floyd, The Who. So, again, similar as what, you know, The Who we said about with The Jam. But I think these were more rock, although they are classed as 
glam rock, pop rock, and art pop or art rock, which is the same as what ELO were. Those the, the best way is the last one, soft rock. So, um, like I said, with ELO, who were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2017, Roxy Music were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2019. Oh, I wouldn't say these were rock at all. But like I said, I couldn't put my finger on a genre. These were very, like, when you say sh- soft rock, yeah, I'll go with that one. But glam rock and all that, nah. Glam rock was more 70s. So probably if you listen to the 70s music. Probably going to hear it in there. But then I guess I am only listening to the hits. So their other stuff might be more rocky. Yeah, and you're only listening to hits and you're only listening to the 80s. So they were actually formed in 1970 in County Durham. It's a new place. And they had their first hit, 1972, Virginia Plain, number four. Oh, okay. So they kind of went straight in there, didn't they? So they had a hit right early in the the 70s. And they had hit after hit, it looks like. They had a number two, Love is a Drug, which I'll definitely say to go and listen to that. You probably would know it when you listen to it. That got to number two in 1975. Oh, so yeah, they went straight in there in the 70s, didn't they? Yeah. Angel Eyes, which was another one, 1979, number four. So um, any number ones in amongst Roxy Music? I want to say no, but you're going to say yeah, aren't you? So they had two albums in the 1980s. As I say, they were on the back of their first big hit, which was Love is a Drug in 1975 with number two. But they had loads of hits, but that was their best charted. So, yeah, so 1980, Over You, number five. 1980, Oh Yeah, number five. 1980, Same Old Scene, number 12. 1981, Jealous Guy, number one. All right. Okay. It's not leaving much for pretenders, is it? 1982, More Than This, number six. 1982, Avalon, number 13. And 1982, Take a Chance With Me, number 26. So they literally, they were quite big hits, weren't they? Yeah. And the funny thing is, they've had, they released Love Is A Drug twice in the 90s. Twice? Yeah, they released a live version in 1990, which got to number 87. And then they were re-released Love Is A Drug that had got to number four, I guess in 1996 and that got to number 33 okay but nothing else so literally their last hit was take a chance with me which was from the 82 and then they just charted again with the love is a drug so they didn't go with the times either so yeah so i'll definitely say you listen to love is a drug because that is a a well-known song of theirs you may well listen to it and have heard it before but yeah so so that is roxy music one number one Quite shocked. I mean, out of all of them, Jealous Guy ain't the worst one. Yeah. So I said we were had six number ones in the 80s out of the seven. You've had four from the jam. Yeah. You had one from ELO, and you've now had one from Woxy Music. Yeah. My maths tells me that is six. So the pretenders only got the one out of the 80s. No, they got none. Because you said seven and one was out of it. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, out of the eight. Yeah, so they had a number one in, the, in 1979, yeah. Quite upset for them, you know. I feel like they're a bit left out. <laughs> Jam taking all their blooming. So, 
we shall move on and discuss the pretenders. What was your take on the pretenders? Can you tell that I liked them? Yeah. I'm a bit upset. Um, so I recognised the pretenders, but I didn't recall there being a woman. So I don't know who I was thinking about when I was like, yeah, I know who the pretenders are. But then when I was listening to the songs, I was like, okay, I, like, I didn't even recognise all their songs, really, to be honest. So I don't know how I've heard of the pretenders or what songs I've really heard. I mean, obviously, you've got their Christmas song. Oh, I was about to say, 2,000 Miles is probably... So the... that might be why I know them, but I don't know why I didn't put that with the pretenders and then a woman. I didn't put that all together. So I was a bit like, oh, this is nice. And it was a nice, it was a nice change. Well, so, so I'll just tell you about the pretenders. They've literally rebuilt the band three times. And the only person to have stayed with them is a lady from America. Is that the singer? And that's Chrissy Hind. So Chrissy Hind is the woman singer. Right, so now I'm shocked as to why I didn't know there was a woman in there. And she's the only member that's been with them from, from their formation in 1978 oh. to, or at least, for, I don't know if they're still going, but definitely, you know, to, for, the, for the 80s. So if I just go through um, who was with them and obviously what happened, the reasons why they've redone the group. So Chrissy Hind formed the band. She was vocals, guitar and principal songwriter. James Honeyman Scott was the guitarist and keyboardist. Pete Farmden was the bass guitarist. And Martin Chambers was the drummer stroke percussion. Now, unfortunately, in 1982, Pete Farnden was dismissed from the group for drug use. And literally two days after he was dismissed, James Honeyman Scott died of heart failure from cocaine. Now, unfortunately, Pete Farnden also died in 1983. Honeyman Scott died in 1982, age 25. My age? So Farnden had already been kicked out of the group for drug use. He died by drowning in the bath following a heroin overdose at the age of 30. Wow, so this group didn't have much luck, did they? No, but that, as I say, he'd already, been, he'd already been dismissed anyway. They then, um, they had a couple of temporary lineups. So Billy Bremner joined on guitar and Tony Butler on bass. So Tony Butler was from the group Big Country which we'll come to in another episode. So again, there's a lot of groups that I mentioned where their members have gone and joined other groups or from groups that we haven't even mentioned yet. The 80s like to move about. So yeah, they joined and they were there. They were in the group for Back in a Chain Gang. Okay, I liked that one. So when you hear that, that was with the temporary lineup. Right, okay. And then Robbie McIntosh joined. So he replaced Billy Bremner, who'd replaced Honeyman Scott. He joined as guitar and Malcolm Foster replaced Tony Butler on bass, who'd replaced Pete Farndham, and he joined on bass and they joined along with Rupert Black on keyboards. Yeah. Okay, so they've now got a keyboardist because James Honeyman Scott was guitar stroke keyboards. So they bought a guitarist and a separate keyboardist. Right, okay. They um, performed at Live Aid. Oh, Okay. As with these ones or with the original ones? No, with these. So this Live Aid was like 1985. So this is now with the new lineup. And then not long after Live Aid, Chrissy Hind got rid of Chambers. 
So bearing in mind that Chambers had been with them from the beginning as a drummer, she said he's he's not as good as he used to be, uh-huh. and she got rid of him. Oh, she sounds a bit. And brutal. then on the back of that, Malcolm Foster, who'd been brought in as the bassist, he quit as he was discouraged by the loss of the the drummer. Oh. So they would have had to again if they did rebuilt the group again into the nineties. Yeah. Which they probably did because they had a top ten hit, "I'll Stand by You," in nineteen ninety four. And they had Human in 1999 at number 33. Oh, okay. So they'd have had another lineup, obviously, for that. So Chrissy Hind is the only member of the group from its formation who was still with them. And there you were saying that you hadn't heard the later book, and she's a vocalist. <laughs> and she's the only one that I would even recognise. Well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what was going on in my head there, but yeah. So what songs did I listen to from the different people that were there? Because you said Back on the Chain Gang was the temporary people. Yeah. So I'm guessing after after that. After that, you had 2,000 Miles. Yeah. Don't Get Me Wrong and Him to Her. So they would have been the new lineup. And then, as I say, after that, they had another lineup because obviously then Live Aid would have had another lineup and that would have been from the ones from the the 90s. Yeah, I'm with you. Ah, okay. Well, I liked these. I feel like they had a nice balance. So, I mean, with all these different people, but then with the vocalist staying the same and she's the songwriter, there's not much change. It's not like you can notice that there's been a change in who's there because the songwriter stayed the same and the vocalist stayed the same. But they had a good balance of slow and fast songs, like, you know, you chilled out to your upbeat ones. And I really, really like her voice. And it was really nice to hear a female voice. I mean, yeah, we had Marfin and the Muffins. That was only one song, weren't it? But it's been really nice to hear a female voice in this, you know, alpha male dominance of the 80s. So that was nice. But with these, having a Christmas song to listen to in April was a hit with me. And <laughs> I, you know, because I love a Christmas song. But based on what they look like in the videos, Chrissy she you can tell well to be fair with all of them you can tell they're rock stars as much as their music I don't think but then this comes back to what I perceive as rock and what these are rock so they, these are classes alternative rock stroke punk rock okay so that sounds a bit more rocky but they are down as a new wave band as well which funny enough so were Woxy Music so you have got that 80s part of it with the new wave but yeah but they are down as rock and then it's got alternate rock, punk rock, stroke, new wave. So, yeah. Ah. Well, when you look at them, you can tell they're rock stars. She's got, like, sharp-cut hair, which for a woman in the 80s as a rock star, that's what I'd expect them to look like. She's got very heavy eyeliner, you know. And I suppose she bought the American. Yeah. She, as I say, she moved over to England in 19... I think I read 1973. So she's from Ohio in America. And the group is down as being formed in Hereford. So like the Welsh border, Hereford is. So, yeah, so they're, they're the first group that we sort of outside of a city is in London, Birmingham. So, yeah, they're from Hereford. Okay. You know, and then the other guys, like, you could just tell they were all rocky. You had the millets, the shaggy hair, you had baggy clothing and a bit of leather coming in and all this. So, yeah, that was nice. And the videos, their videos, they weren't, I quite liked their videos because they weren't the live performances. They obviously, you know, they were in 
in the video scene because their videos like told a story they were like videos that you see now where you've got at them actually doing something not just playing their music so I quite like that yeah so Chrissy Hind is known for her leather trousers and wearing leather jackets and that so she is known for that and I suppose mm. I suppose it's almost like as I get whether that's the American side of her with the you know Debbie Harry bikers and Blondie which would have been big in America with Debbie Harry whether that's an influence that she had on her but also bikers sort of thing with the rock and that so I don't know but yeah that's what she was well known was she was known for leather trousers leather jacket okay that makes sense then okay so obviously you now know that there's a number one you listen to but it wasn't from the 80s what are you saying that was well I want to go with brass in pocket okay that's my favorite one I mean I was thinking could it be there Christmas song I feel like that could be a number one but I don't think that was a 70s song no I've already said that was with the latest lineup yeah yeah so I want to go with Brass in Pocket okay so The Pretender so of the songs you've given me as I said there was one the reason I gave you it is one it's probably my favourite okay but it also does turn up weirdly on 80s compilations so I think it may well have still been in the chart because it was from 1979 so it could well have still been in the charts in the 80s. It got to number one in 1979, and that is Brass in Pocket. Good. Okay. Considering they've only got one, and yeah, okay, we ignore that it's out of the 80s. I'm glad it's that one. I'm glad you gave me that one, because yeah. that's my favourite. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's a bit like Cars with Gary Newman and Our Friends Electric from the Two Bray Army, obviously, again, Gary Newman. They are classed as 80s because they're on 80s compilations and things like that, but they're actually from 1979. So again, whether they were in the charts still, as I say, in the 80s. Yeah, because they could stay in the charts for a while. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. So 1980, Talk of the Town, number eight. 1981, Message of Love, number 11. 1981, I Go to Sleep, number seven. 1982, Back on the Chain Gang. Number 17. 1983, their ex-Christmas song, 2,000 Miles. Number 15. I'm shocked, to be honest. Yeah. But to be such a big Christmas hit. So it is a cult Christmas single, but at the time it only got to number 15. Shocking. So yes. Ooh. And 1986, Don't Get Me Wrong, number 10 which is another song I like of theirs, to be honest. I, I mean, I like Back on the Chain Gang, Don't Get Me Wrong. I quite like that one. Um, Talk of the Town. Yeah. The Glass in the Pocket, I probably would be with you that that's my favourite. And then another one I like, Him to Her, 1986, number eight. Oh, I a fan. And a lot of people one. have that at funerals for f- mothers or daughters. Oh, bit of a morbid twist on the song. Yes, but... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I can see why. But it weren't my favorite. But probably just because it was so not depressing, but really pulled at your heartstrings. It's not something I just want to listen to on a daily basis. Oh, I'm very shocked with this week's number ones. I must say. Mm. Obviously, the jam is the one that totally um, outfoxed you. I suppose that left me speechless, Dad. To tell you, I was not expecting four. No, and I suppose it shows you what you can achieve if you've got a cult following who, who are loyal to your music. Mm. And I suppose that the fact that when they re-release their music for whatever reason, I don't, I don't know because they would have split by then, but none of them really charted. 
No. So what was the taste of music or the music of that time, as you say, totally wasn't then. And maybe that is why Paul Weller, Wado at the top with Beat Surrender, number one, suddenly. That's just jump ship. Yeah. Forming and I'm disbanding, I'm going and. But that's quite weird. Change the whole outlook. Yeah. If you stay with the same people, I suppose you're still drawn to what you know. Whereas if you get new people in with new ideas, I suppose that's how he looked at it. Mm, I guess, but then Spandau Ballet managed. Yeah, true. But they did, as I said, they brought in Trevor Horn as a producer for that one song, and that could have made a big difference, that one song, and changing and seeing how uh, someone who worked with electronics changed. And then obviously they maybe they didn't want to go that route and they went for the soul route. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but I think as well with Spandau Ballet... I don't mind you, you could say the same with Jam, with Paul Weller. Having one principal songwriter, the others didn't really have much say, I suppose, really. Whereas I suppose Duran Duran were all involved. It was a, it was a bit different, I suppose, for them. So I suppose the way bands have gone about I mean, you've got three different ways that people have gone about it. Duran Duran have gone with the times as a group. Spandau Ballet, their main songwriter, has changed himself, but stayed with the same group, just changed the way that going from synth pop to soul and then um, Paul Weller at the Who at the Who at the Jam has gone from like we're a mod band rock stroke mod band I'm now going to create a new group for the I don't know what style councillor classed as really but I'm going to reform a a totally new group yeah yeah I suppose I just think it's quite sad for the other members in the Jam like they would have been like what do we do now uh, I'm just shocked they got four number ones. Don't think I'll get over that one. Not the most shocking thing I've heard, but so hit or miss time. So the jam was a miss. As much as you know, they did have a couple of familiar songs, and I did like those ones. As an overall, you know, I think about it, I wouldn't play them again. You know, I might play Town Called Malice, Going Underground, that's entertainment, the ones that I recognise, I might play them again, but not the others. They've just came across a bit. Meh. So I wouldn't go and play them again. Which is a bit well. So I'm here to try and influence you. So educate you on the 80s music, influence you into, I suppose, liking it or, you know, agreeing that it's good. Probably the biggest group band we've had so far, as far as hits go, I mean, four number ones, is a miss. <laughs> okay. Sorry. All right. And yet Vapours. <laughs> <laughs> Love know, them. One song, wasn't a number one. You love them. You've got a tattoo I've with him. I've listened to him since. <laughs> That's what I mean. That's what I'm saying. Just shows you, this is it. But it also shows you the difference in music that was around in the 80s. And as you say, you're in a time where you don't really have rock songs as such. Whereas in the 80s, mm, you, like you had all your heavy metal, you had soft rock or whatever. And then you've got your pop music, synth pop soul music scar music that we've you've obviously listened to as well so there was a big genre so you might not like one you might like the other and they're all so different i think that was a good thing with the 80s there was music for everyone yeah and they're all so different like you can have a genre with this in it and then your subgenre, but then the two artists don't sound that similar yeah but elo was a hit i like them see now I'm surprised. Oh. I'd have said the jam over ELO. Oh, really? Yeah. No, ELO had more of their upbeat songs that I can get down with. I wouldn't listen to the ones Twilight, Ticket to the Moon, and the other one. There was three. I wouldn't listen to them ones again. 
Yeah. Rock, uh, rock and Roll is King? No, it was the double side with Ticket to the Moon. Oh, here is the news. That's the one, yeah. I wouldn't listen to them three again, but the rest, yeah, I like them. They've got a nice sound to them. Mm-hmm. And as you say, you've already lined up your song for um, coming out of the pandemic. Yeah, I've got that us there ready. As soon as we're able to be normal again and I can drive home. The next time I drive to visit you, I'll be playing all over the world. I'm going to have to listen to it. All the way down. Just to refresh my memory Listen to the lyrics. Yeah. It's the lyrics as well. Roxy music was a miss. Just because there was, uh, it was just a bit too... It's very slow, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd agree agree on that. Then there weren't, you know, my... uh, You know, back in... Back in the day when I was going through heartbreaks and stuff as a little teenager, these might have been the ones, you know, might have listened to these and been like, okay, yeah. I mean, I think you can see, because they are heavily, as I've read out, they were heavily influenced by, you know, the Beatles, Rolling Stones, Pink Floyd, which were the big, I suppose, what you'd call a rock band of the 60s, 50s, no, I think they're 60s, 70s. And I suppose Roxy Music tried to bring them in late 70s, early 80s, but obviously toned it down a bit but a bit yeah, no, too no, much no. i think I, I i agree not for me if you're in the mood and listen to that all the time then yeah but no. they wouldn't be one that i listen to again and then pretenders were a hit really like them the only one that i didn't like as much was him to her but again it was just a bit and when you say people have it at their funerals it just tells you why doesn't it but yeah i mean i would listen to it again but i'd listen to all the others again for sure sure I, I I did have you down for two hits this week, but I had it as the Pretenders and the Jam. So you've shocked me with the ELO <laughs> revelation, and obviously the one of the biggest bands or cult bands, I suppose, of um, of the eighties or definitely early eighties. But then, like I said before, you say now cult band, I wouldn't be a mod, no, so I wouldn't no. be in their cult. Yeah. So that just shows because they're miss of me. I'm not going to be their hardcore fan. And I suppose that shows why their songs were when they were re-released in the nineties didn't do didn't do nothing. I mean, I was born in the mid nineties, so didn't start listening to it. A bit like I mean, you're more early seventies, a bit like you. I've been, been two. You're a bit. You're more two thousands music. Yeah, uh, early two thousands because I my, it dates back. I guess when you look at mine, there's quite a few from like two thousand and two. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So that's this week. So. On to next week. You've only got three bands next week. One of them's got a lot of hits. So you've got a lot of hits. So you've got The Police. Okay, yeah, I've heard of them. The Stranglers. Not heard of them, but have you mentioned them before? Not sure. We've mentioned so many different groups. (laughs) I don't think I have. I I might have. Either you've mentioned them or I've seen them on, you know, I mentioned about the Daily Mix on Spotify. But I don't know them. Okay. And in a group we actually mentioned today, Genesis. Okay. So that's got Phil Collins in it. Yes. And Peter Gabriel. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. 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 So I'm only really familiar with the police. So we'll see how this goes. So do you know, if I was to ask you, do you, to name a police single song? We've covered this. <laughs> I'm not good at this. I'll let you know later when you send me the song because I'll be like, yeah, that's one that I should have mentioned because I really know that one. I'm rubbish. Right, okay. So offhand, you wouldn't, you don't, you don't know of any, but when you see them or listen to them, then you'll be ah. 
so as soon as you send me the list, yeah. I will recognise uh, okay. at least one and uh, before I listen to yeah. it. So, message in a bottle. No. Don't stand so close to me. Yeah, but legit, you could sit here right now and go, name an erasure song. And obviously they're ones that I've grown up with. Have you listened to that? I can't name an erasure song. I could name an aha, but they're a bit bigger and a bit known, I think. But erasure, no. Pet Shop Boys, no. Like the ones that you would expect me to sit here and say something and know that I know them, I still couldn't name you one. Yeah, uh, to be honest, if you ask me to name a, okay, no, my music I might be able to name, but I was trying to think of someone from my time that I've listened to that I can't name. But no, I'm not very good with song names. But I do, yeah, Police are recognised, so I look forward to that one. And I'm guessing Police and Genesis are the big hit ones, the ones with lots of hits. Um, you'll find out next week. Oh, okay. Well, you'll find <laughs> out. Find out. Obviously, you'll find out by how many songs you've got. <laughs> yeah. But if I was to, I'll just let you know now. Then um, you've got twelve from the police. Oh, that's not too bad. I mean, status quo or madness. I had like twenty odd. So twelve from the stranglers. Oh, okay. I weren't expecting them ones to be big ones, like a lot. And eleven from Genesis. Also, oh, quite a fair amount from each of them. Yeah, so hence you've only got three this week. Yeah, that's not bad. I can cope with that. Hey, we'll see how I'll get on with that. So these are still, I would say, probably rocky sort of, probably very much the same as as this week's, when I think of the police, Genesis. Yeah, thinking of the police, that, yeah. But I can deal, you know, it's not heavy rock. No, right. That's it then. Yeah, that is week seven. Yeah, so next week, episode eight. I will see you then. Yeah. See how you uh, how you do. As I say, just three groups to uh, discuss, but a, a lot of songs. A lot to get through. On that note, I shall say goodbye and find out how you do next week. Yeah, definitely. Now, speak to you next week, Dad. You will. All right. Bye. Bye, Dad. <laughs>